As we quiet our hearts to hear God's word, let us pray. God of power and grace, fill us with the wisdom of your word and the understanding of your spirit so that we may be your church, a people with dreams and visions at work in all the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our, our scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in His Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In the trauma and abuse recovery class that I teach, one of our first lessons is about power dynamics and how they relate to the cycles of abuse. That is nearly always the most powerful lesson of the 10 week term. It's the one that sticks with my students the most. See, the typical cycle is that a person in power over another person tries too hard to hold on to that power. There's a fear that goes along with losing power. Deep down, the person in power fears that the one with less power will try to usurp or hurt them. They are given more power. The unhealthy response to this um, is to take more of the power back from the powerless person or less powerful person. In an abusive relationship, that might look like cutting off the other partner's contact with certain friends or family or limiting their access to financial resources. In a society, that might mean restricting where certain groups of people can work or live or pitting two less powerful groups against one another. An abuse of power doesn't just happen in individual relationships. It happens in whole societies and in cultures too. 
It happens when a country walls itself off from another one because it's afraid of losing something it believes it is more deserving of. It happens when one ethnic group perpetrates genocide against another to ensure that the other does not gain power. It happens when strong nations and corporations take advantage of small or poor nations to keep their financial power. It happens when a healthy person refuses to wear a mask or stay at home as much as possible to help protect the medically vulnerable. It happens when we derail conversations about justice by focusing on how the conversation is happening rather than what the conversation is. We're often quick to criticize a movement like the modern civil rights movement because the media has portrayed it to be violent or loud, but in doing so, we fail to hear the message of those who are preparing and delivering the message well. There's churches out there right now falling apart at the seams over when to reopen and if they should wear masks when they do. Literally splitting apart, pastors being run out, parishioners being bullied and shamed on both sides of the spectrum. And for many of them, the split over the pandemic response is happening along political party lines. When we talk about race and reconciliation, something that is all over scripture, arguments over how protests and demonstrations are carried out overshadow the conversations about why those protests and demonstrations are even happening in the first place. And the common thread between these, these two seemingly divergent themes is this power dynamics. What bothers me most about all this is the way the conversations are framed and how little good old fashioned what would Jesus do is happening in them. We aren't asking what Jesus would do. We're just trying to hold on to what power we think we have and to maintain the status quo. One of my commentaries this week quoted a story that is possibly <laughs> fictionalized, but gets to this point well. It says that the celebrated pacifist Mohandas Gandhi is reported to have said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He made this observation in the midst of his struggle for justice for a people in the face of the occupation of his native India. Whether Gandhi really said that or not, it's a real sentiment in the world. I've heard that from many people outside of the church these days. They see in scripture a Jesus who heals the sick, cares for the broken and hurting, challenges those in authority, and welcomes all to the table. But overall, they don't see the Christian church in America at the forefront of pandemic protection measures or helping those without appropriate medical care, or housing, food, education, and other important resources. They see the very vocal people on the news and social media who side with one authority figure or another without challenging them with the gospel and who are leaving people out of the cultural conversation because of the way they speak their message. When did we, church, allow ourselves to become so hogtied by our culture and its politics, social divides, hierarchies, and authorities? When did we allow anyone other than Jesus to define the message and the mission? 
When did the church let the real message of the gospel get so watered down? As we try to navigate how to talk well with one another, even in disagreement, and how to figure out when it's important to stand up for what, the only way we can do it well is to refer to Jesus. No political figure or talking head from the news media or meme from social media or magazine article is able to tell us how to be a Christian. And it's always good practice to look at what Jesus did in the gospel accounts for sure. And we'll see there that it's clear Jesus did not side with any political parties of his time. But Jesus did a great deal, and we can really get sidetracked along some rabbit trails if we try too hard all the time to correlate everything Jesus did, each action he took in the Gospels with the current situations we're facing. While we face many of the same old problems that Jesus did, the contexts are very different. Don't get me wrong, the Gospel accounts are extremely important. Keep studying them, keep thinking about how they speak to us today. But I think that our propensity to get wound up or stuck in or derailed by every tiny action in the Gospels, just lost my train of thought. Today, I wanted to look at Philippians 2 because of the big picture context it gives us. It gets to the heart of this in a very concise and poetic way in a very easily applied way. The Christ hymn, as this passage is often called, shows us what it looks like to reflect Jesus in the world around us. That's what the author of this letter means by writing, be of the same mind. We don't have to agree on all the details about it, but we do have to all focus on Christ and be like-minded in our desire to follow Jesus and him alone. And there's a key piece that gets to how to apply that to our lives and the ways we advocate for or against in the world. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. What would Jesus do? He would look to the well-being and interests of other people first. The thing we should agree on, that other people matter. What Jesus did was interfere with the cycles of worldly power to work and equalize things. When Jesus saw someone asking to be noticed and treated kindly, he didn't ignore them or scold them for asking the wrong way. He treated them with kindness and love. And I get it. There's a great deal of fear and insecurity in the world today. There's financial fear and insecurity. There's medical fear and insecurity. There's fear and insecurity tangled up with conversations about race. And that's why these conversations get so touchy and difficult. Anytime the power is being rebalanced, someone is going to feel uncomfortable. Anytime we're asked to give up something or to admit to our role in a potentially abusive culture, we have to let go of some of our power and trust that God will still take care of us. 
this Christian life is about sacrificing our own places of power and comfort to lift up others. This Christian life is about stepping out of our power and privilege, whatever that is for any one of us, and humbling ourselves to walk in the footsteps of another for a bit. This Christian life is about trusting that when we go against the flow, when we step out of our own comfort zone and look out for the people around us, God has our back. When the world gets hard to navigate, do we stand up and shout down the people around us so we can pretend to hold on to some modicum of worldly power? Or do we trust that God will care for those who care for one another? This passage from Philippians 2 is not a pretty piece of poetry or prose written in happy times by someone who didn't know the sort of trials we are going through as a culture today. The Apostle Paul knew pain. He knew what it felt like to live in a world that seemed to be falling apart at the seams. He knew economic hardship. He knew illness. The world he lived in was full of racist, ethnic, and class classist injustice. His words aren't hollow. They're not too pretty for 2020. His words ring most true for us in times of pandemic and injustice and natural disaster and fear and insecurity. I was in a webinar this week in which the presenter stated that identities of dominance are straw houses. This is something the Apostle Paul would have known well. The author of this letter was once part of the powerful religious elite who were favored by the state. And when Jesus called him, he abandoned it all. And in abandoning that fake worldly power and privilege, he entered into a life and ministry so rich, so powerful, that we are still reading about it 2,000 years later. When an institution or a person or in a place of power makes a stand for those who are less powerful, that's what Jesus would do. Jesus didn't even hold on to real power, God's power, let alone the fake power the world lures us into trying to hold on to. I spend a lot of time encouraging you all to look for God at work in the world, which is good. There's a reason we've been doing that for something on the order of two years together now. That is something you should be doing all the time. This week, I want to spin it just a little bit. I want you to think of yourselves as being God at work in the world. Maybe print out this passage from Philippians or write it on poster board or bookmark your Bible, but read it constantly this week. Live into it. Breathe into it. If you're in the Wednesday night discernment group, perhaps frame some of your examine or evening prayer, morning prayer time with this passage. And so my congregations often send me pictures or videos of where they see God outside of themselves in the world working. And we put this in a segment of our worship service together. This week, along with that, what I want you all to do is to write down or photograph or think about or pray about or document in some way the times you see opportunities to consider yourself no more significant than another. 
What are the sacrifices you can make to benefit others? What power can you cede so that another can rise up to join you on equal ground? And we don't always feel powerful. That's normal. And we all live in different levels of power and privilege in the world. That's okay. We can all still live into this passage wherever we fall on that scale. We all have places in our lives where we are the one in more power. Perhaps it's because of our race or our gender, our income, education, place in the family, age. There are a lot of different things. Work situations have power imbalances. Schools have power imbalances. Whatever those places are in your life that you find yourself in some sort of power position over another, use that power for the protection and benefit of others. And don't worry about if someone else catches up to you. In fact, it's our job as the church to give them a boost and help them catch up. Think about how we can take a stand to protect the vulnerable and less powerful. Wear that uncomfortable mask to protect others. Listen to the message of the person who is so very different than you, even if you don't like the way they're saying it or the style of music they're communicating it with. Think about what they are saying and how worldly power and Jesus' example of sacrifice of power interact with that message. Look at the way the power is distributed in the world around us and think about how we as a community can interfere with worldly power to share the power of Jesus' love with those who are hurting, who are marginalized, who are vulnerable, and who are oppressed. Amen.